Collier Banners, the official HBO Game of Thrones subscription box is here. Each premium box is packed with over $120 worth of exclusive apparel, accessories, collectibles, and more. The current box's theme is the Noble Houses of Westeros and features items representing Stark, Targaryen, Tyrell, and more. Only 5,000 of these boxes are going to be made. And Game of Owns listeners can save 20% off their first box using promo code OWNS20. Just visit www.culturefly.com and order yours today. But we also have no doors in my apartment. Oh. Sounds perfect. It's a large doorless place. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the bathroom. Are you sure? I can't laugh because it makes me cough. Large doorless <coughs> place. I can't laugh because it makes me cough. Does that sound does that sound good to you guys? Sure. No. <laughs> we can draw connections between Hannah coughing and being sick and Maester Eamon. Dying. This is his last breath. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening. We're back. And better than ever. <laughs> Hannah's sick. I know. So I, so I apologize sick. for my voice this week, but... To make up for the fact that I sound like a dying Mr. Amen, we. <laughs> I'm not going to make that joke. That's awful. I changed my you mind. You just made that joke twice, I think. <laughs> I it's a good joke. It's a good joke. You know, he lived a long life. Sam's eulogy was beautiful. We're here to celebrate his life. We're here to live like the Summer Islanders. That's on true. Today's episode. For those of you who don't know Eliana, she is a moderator on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit and is a host on one of my favorite A Song of Ice and Fire podcasts, Maester Monthly, and you might know her as Glass Table Girl. So welcome to the show with us. <laughs> we know Eliana from real life so far. This is the first time we've ever been friends on Skype. So this is going pretty well, too. You do have a strange Skype username, though. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. It's like the exact same. Okay, whatever. <laughs> as your Twitter handle? <laughs> it is. Wait, wait. No, you can't tell the public that it's the same Skype. Oh, what that's true. What if people try and Skype? I think that you wait. should all try to Skype Eliana immediately. No. This might give her a good reason to change her Skype. Skype. So. Yeah, that's true, too. We actually we have Skype. been recording Skype on Game of Bones since the beginning of the podcast, except a few times, if anyone... Um, listening is interested in that kind of thing and fun fact we are recording um episode 390 395 and before eliana was connected to our group call ann and i were like how do we add someone to this call this is really hard so we still don't have everything figured out how did you add everyone else to your call before skype redesigns like four times a quarter i think it's different every time. They got to keep things interesting. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do on the podcast. And if George R. R. Martin keeps writing chapters like Melisandre 1, I feel a little excited right now. I don't know if you guys can tell. I When I read Melisandre 1 for the first time through my first read through the books, and then when we were putting together the reading order, doing closer notes on things and rereading stuff that you like, I think I tended towards the more pirate-like things. And going back hmm. specifically to this Melisandre chapter, I feel like my brain might have subconsciously blocked it out because there's just so much here it's just like it's like staring into the face of the great other it's like you know do you want this well there's a lot of questions that come from this chapter and a lot of things that we don't have the answers to and to dive into a character like melisandre for the first time and to kind of break some of the illusion behind who she is and how she makes decisions and how she goes about her day is kind of a really interesting experience and to then have that paired with the sam chapter zach and i were so talking cool. earlier mm-hmm. how easily 
both of these chapters could be their own episode because there's a lot to unpack. And I think there's a lot of crossover that we can get into. But in terms of really great chapters to have paired together, I'm I'm excited because I think there is so much in both of these and so many questions that I have that hopefully you guys can answer for me. <laughs> I can tell you what other people are saying. <laughs> what guess. are people saying on Reddit? Just just in general, at home. right now, yeah. Um, ooh, this one's interesting. <laughs> Apparently, the standfast of House Osgrey was modeled on George R. R. Martin's miniature castle, is what they are asserting. And there are all these photos of George R. R. Martin's miniature castle uh, that he posted in September. It's pretty cool. It looks like a dollhouse or something. And then they are showing how, yeah, this is what House Osgrey looks like, which is a which is a pretty cool find. I didn't know that before. Mm. I remember when he posted that. So that's actually a model of something from Song of Ice and Fire. Or the other way around. I'm not sure what the timeline is like on that. And then there's another one that was posted yesterday that I need to finish reading that sounded interesting about who's behind the plot in the dragon pit. Particularly during the dance. You know how like there was the storming of the dragon pit. So they are saying that the maesters poisoned the dragons, um, leaving them helpless to a mob assault, and then that the maesters collapsed the roof of the dragon pit once the mob got inside. Um, and this all, uh, according to them, plays into that larger like maester conspiracy of trying mm-hmm. to kill off the dragons. So it's hmm. pretty interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Can you kind of, because, and maybe this is me just selfishly being interested, but I'm sure folks who are listening probably aren't familiar, but kind of what you do with reddit and like what type of stuff do you handle and kind of give us a little bit of a day in the life i guess you can say about what goes on for people who maybe aren't familiar or who are there all the time but maybe don't quite understand what your role might be yeah so on a day-to-day basis you know it's pretty boring um (laughs) you go online and you go to this site that you tend to go to because it's reddit like who doesn't go on reddit it's the new dig.com yeah it is and you know that's deep cut (laughs) no but it okay sometimes i'm like afraid i'm afraid because you know how like people sometimes are like oh look at the fall of the roman empire and sometimes think about like oh is america going to experience the same fall as like the roman empire is reddit going to experience okay not that reddit (laughs) or dig are either not that either of them are like the roman empire or like america but you know these are questions that people have i'm sorry i've had like the equivalent of like two to three bourbons. Perfect. This is going to be a good podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, but just basically, you know, these are questions that I have sometimes um, that everyone on Reddit and who's like been part of that community has. But essentially, you know, um, you go on and you're kind of like, I'll look through my other subreddits, my front page, and then I'll go on Aswaf, as we like to call it, because it's funnier to say it that way. <laughs> then I get to say ass <laughs> and waff. I used to say a soif, but, you know, Aswaf's way better. Do you get to just decide what it is? Like, it's Aswaf now, not a soif? It's just funnier. Okay. Yeah. I, I get that. I actually got that from my fellow mod at Balticon. Um, my fellow mod, Bookshelf Stud, a.k.a. Michael and my co-host, when, where apparently Hannah was also at Balticon. Yes, <laughs> she was. We didn't <laughs> We never met. I was too shy. How often does your subreddit have to ban or mute jeff from uh, posting privileges <laughs> on the website 
No, but we did kick him out and ban him from the live cast that we did when Sons of the Dragon came on. Or sorry, sorry, Sons of the Durgan came mm. out. And then we That's were like, oh, wait, Aswa. let's just get Jeff to come back on. And turns out because we had booted him and blocked him, we were like, how do we even get him <laughs> back on? And so that was a whole endeavor. We we're like, how do we let Jeff back onto the cast? That's hilarious. We should probably talk about Jeff and Emmett's new podcast. That is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Not a podcast, which is the best podcast name in the Seven Kingdoms, a.k.a. The I best... came up with that name. Did you really? Did you really? Eliana, yeah. wow. that is it is such a cool name. I, every time I see it, I'm like, yeah, that's exciting. I'll have to have them on soon. Yeah. Our friend Emmett Booth, poor Quentin, who's a frequent guest on the podcast, and our friend who we're talking about, um, Jeff, a.k.a. Everyone's got a good a.k.a. Brendan B. Fish started a new podcast together. They started a podcast in January, and they're doing a Song of Ice and Fire read-through, and it looks like they're doing it chapter by chapter, which... I mean, have you guys seen the list of how many chapters there are in these books? Yeah. <laughs> so if the fates are just, what we could have is all of that from these two men. And that is a really cool thing. So I'm really, really happy that that's happening. I second that. It's awesome. Yeah, it's so fun. And that. it's also fun to like, so A, it's First of all, it's fun to question my reality when they start off a podcast telling me that this is their fourth episode. And I was like, isn't it their fifth? And I just believe them because I just <laughs> trust them so much. Yeah, don't do that. Watch, just also watching their uh, their bromance evolve. It's magic. It really is. So speaking of magic, these two chapters were magical. I know that there's a lot more that we could be talking about, but I think that we were afraid we were not going to be able to fit Melisandre into this nice discussion, let alone... Let's get Both into of these it. chapters. Melisandre. So we're starting with Melisandre. Um, let me open my book first, actually. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was prepared. I wasn't. Eliana, what did you think about reading these chapters together? How did you feel about reading these chapters together? I'd never, well, obviously, because I'd never done the combined reread like much, really. Um, I thought that they were great against one another just because there's a lot in them in terms of prophecy and people, you know, what they hope to do, what they want to do, and what it ends up having to actually be. And yeah, there's a lot of magic, as you said, and what people think that prophecy means. And who was Azor High? Reading Melisandre first and then getting to the point in Sam's chapter where Maester mm -hmm. Aemon kind of starts sounding like her a little bit. I was like, don't do this to me, George. This is the... Barristan Selmy, Mace Draymond, you have a few, there's a few constants in my life in this world. Don't do this to me. But like us all, you know, Mace Draymond was a person that lived in Westeros and had his ideas and pushed his ideas in certain directions, even he on the wall, you know what I mean? With the mm -hmm. kind of life that he led and the, the kind of eulogy Sam was able to emotionally speak truthfully about him, even he had his thoughts and his his intent based off of things that he learned with his family. And even he made some kind of plots in those directions. And even you know? he was wrong. Even he was wrong. And yeah. we probably don't know at this point to the extent of that, but we get him in the beginning of his chapter kind of admitting to his error. And we get that a little bit with Melisandre as well. And she may not be outright admitting error or anything, but we see her desperation in the beginning of her chapter about how much she wants to see Stannis and how much she wants to see the things that she feels like are going to be advantageous for her and her situation 
with John and also just with her faith that Stannis is the one, which I don't know about you guys, but something that I really liked about this chapter and was a little bit surprised with, and I know that there may have been discussion before this point, that her zeal in Stannis is 100% real, or it seems very real, and she Mm -hmm. seems very devout, and she seems very genuinely for his cause and that it's not necessarily something that's just for her own gain, but something that she seems to be very true to, which um, I remember upon my first read was a little bit surprised by that because I think at this up to this point, we weren't sure. Um, and I thought that that was kind of a cool way to open up this chapter. Did you guys feel that her feelings about Stannis were truly real though on this reread? Like, did it hold up? For me, I felt like I was looking at it and I was reading what looked to be really serious thoughts about the situation where she was talking about where he is in the campaign, what they have done and what's left and the kind of grandeur that was surrounded the sort of person that is Azora High. But I felt like, especially after just acknowledging false visions a couple lines before that, and then she immediately starts to talk about Stannis. It almost seemed like the grandeur was almost a kind of sarcastic irony and she was defeated. I think that the thing that stuck out to me in that sense is that she seems to be so single-mindedly focused on him that she lets everything else kind of fall to the wayside. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of other things in this chapter are kind of a little bit more of that tongue-in-cheek that I think you're alluding to, but I Mm -hmm. felt like the Stannis piece was the one truth that she was holding on to, whereas kind of everything else with this gray girl that she's talking about and these trappings of power and seeing John, but her desire to see Stannis and just kind of all of these thoughts she's having about these visions, that those were all a little bit more tongue-in-cheek than this, in my opinion, real feeling for Stannis. But that's just how I read it. I think that maybe I was a little bit turned by the way she read John later when she was thinking about who he's talking to and when he has no love for me. He knows what I am. He knows what this is. Mm-hmm. The kind of person that she is, she comfortably speaks about it. Like John wants to use her mm-hmm. to get what he wants. She's okay with that because she's also using him. And that's just kind of the deal here. And I felt like without her expressly saying it, just the way that she would talk about how easy we could have these false prophecies and how easy all of this could be wrong and how easy the minds of men are are befuddled by things they don't understand it sort of felt like subliminally she was also without saying it to herself because sometimes it is pretty difficult to admit those things right the thing that we're currently doing not the thing that we did before but the thing that we're in the middle of like maybe she's doing that with stannis the same way john is begrudgingly accepting her i don't know i don't know i kind of see it like a little I think that there's a little more desperation. Like, I feel as though Stannis and John are the ones who both see maybe Melisandre as someone that they can use. Uh, you know, like going back to Stannis's um speech about how he has a new hawk, a red hawk, when he was talking about Proudwing, that Proudwing story. But it seems to me like Melisandre, you know, because of her earnest faith. In Rolor and in the need to defeat the Great Other, believes that it is Stannis. I, I guess I don't see him 
I don't see her as thinking of him as a tool, but maybe I need to think about that more deeply. <laughs> I think that you're probably right. <laughs> I, don't know. I think that it's the same thing that I did with Maester Eamon, believing he was more than he was. I might be doing the same with Melisandre because at the end of the day, part of what I believed about her in reading this chapter for the first time and then on every reread was that my my mysterious thought of her from her trappings of power were kind of smashed because I was inside of her head and, and I was able to see how unsure she was about certain things. And then in maybe this situation, maybe how even someone like her could be so naive about a very obvious answer, mm -hmm. which is that Stannis is not Azor High. He's not. It's obvious to Maester Eamon too. He's like, listen, have you not seen the sword? Have you not met the guy? That's not him. Right. It's really interesting, and I'm kind of you guys can chime in on your own thoughts on this because this is the first time we get inside of her head, and so yeah, do we lose some of that luster for who she is and the power she wields? And as she kind of goes into the mechanics of that a little bit, like there's a line where she's talking about making sure her sleeves have all like the powders and things in them to make her give her more show as she goes about doing all of her little things, you know. And she mm -hmm. talks a lot about tra trappings of power, which we'll get into, and. And she has this line that I am scrolling through to remember, which I might not be able to find, but she has this line basically about how the more complicated something looks, the more people are going to buy into mm -hmm. it. Or, wait. It makes the glamour the simpler, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the simple. Hold on. I need to find this exact quote because I'm going to butcher it. it says, she says, the, the more effortless the sorcery appears, the more men fear the sorcerer. So kind of everything that she does to build this illusion around her and the smoke and the sparks and the whatever all of that is fake i feel like and and she goes so much into kind of breaking that down that i felt like she has to hold on to one thing and i felt like stannis was her one thing left as she as we get this reveal with mance and with rattleshirt and with all these prophecies that she's having that she doesn't quite understand and that she herself says she doesn't understand. And the only thing she really does understand is that when stuff is about her specifically, she can kind of see anyway, all of that. I just feel like <laughs> I can't remember where I started at the beginning of this thought. I, that's how but, I feel about but, all this. But and I like it a lot that we broke all of that down. And, you know, I kind of have, I came away from that with a little bit more respect for her because, um, so instead of it maybe having the opposite effect, of, well, what is she doing? I kind of like what George tends to do, which is break these people down and make them black and white and make them, or less black and white and more gray and more hashtag relatable. And it, it just, I felt like added an interesting depth to her instead of just wiping away this illusion because we know that she's not all encompassing and all powerful. And um, so I kind of liked that breakdown here. It was interesting to see her refer toward Blood Raven and Bran seated comfortably in that wonderful heart tree north of the wall, and to hear her reference them mm -hmm. as a power source that was so not understandable, something that was so mysterious, but yet we have this insight that she doesn't have. And so through that insight, we're able to like take how she feels about that and sort of place it on how we feel about her because we understand how she's thinking now, finally. And if she feels that way about those people, then what does she feel about everything else? What else has she been talking about? You know what I mean? Like, what is magic? What is this great mysterious thing that we don't understand? What is her power when half of it 
is the stuff that she learned from pyromancers across the narrow sea in order to keep the rest of us up because mm-hmm. it sure mm-hmm. helps. Well, this plays into probably my biggest question of the chapter, which is she mentions how she has more strength when she's at the mm-hmm. wall and that her magic is more powerful. And my question is, is that because she's at the wall specifically or is it because of this reoccurring theme that we're seeing in at this point in the series that magic is returning to the world and are those two things kind of converging at the same time do you guys what do you guys think i mean we see as early as a clash of kings that is it is a clash or is it storm you know where quaith is telling danny um you know this this guy couldn't even make a flame before but now he's like making a fire ladder and climbing it climbing it Yeah, yeah so um i feel like if it were just the reoccurrence of magic she would have felt it more just inherently before so i feel like there is something to do with the wall which Mm -hmm. it's interesting because it feels counterintuitive because if her power draws from fire why is it stronger on this giant huge block of ice so i'm just not sure Mm -hmm. and you know like you were saying about how in some ways it makes melisandre feel more powerful to you it it is interesting because on one hand it humanizes her and it shows that you know, a lot of the magic that she's shown us before is sort of just to her, they're parlor tricks. To me, I'm like, oh, I can't do that with powder. That's pretty cool. That's <laughs> very impressive. But, you know, the question of if she feels more powerful now at the wall and we've seen her do actually like, very big magic in terms of shadow babies, like what else does that mean that she's capable of? Right. That's the thing, right? It's, all, a lot of this is like what you just said, like she learned how to do that. And and that's really impressive. That's a cool thing. It's like when uh, Gilly was like, you learned all that, you know, all that from looking at scratches on a page. That's magic. You're kind of like a wizard. You're a wizard. Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like she's she's there. But at the same time, uh, we understand it. And even in the, the, the reveal that we got in the series blasphemous to talk about it during such a serious time, I know. But she takes off her jewel and she's a different person. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a version of what's happened. If you um, aren't reading along with us and you haven't read um, this chapter ever, I'm going to drop something that's like Spoiler super heavy. Alert. I'm just going to drop it right now, like really heavy. So get out of the way if you don't want this to land right on you. Mance Raider is alive. The king beyond the wall is not dead. She tricked all of us. And John and Stannis and Davos and Three Fingered Hob and everyone switched everyone around. Lord of Bones, switcheroo with Mance Raider. Now we've been talking about all this real stuff and about real feelings. And I know that what I'm thinking about is how they relate to each other for the most part as people and where they're standing and the progress of each other's lives and like how that all for some reason just found a way to happen at this place called Castle Black in the north of the wall, right? Like all these weird personalities like Davos and Jon Snow and Melisandre and Mance Raider and Tormund. And you've got a guy called the Weeper that wants to pull everyone's eyes out not too far away, just outside the wall. You know what I mean? It's a crazy time right now for these guys at the wall. <laughs> and she's talking about not real magic, but like, what are we supposed to feel about the fact that she can actually do magic? Or something like that. She definitely made something come out of her that walked through a tent and some tubing underneath a a place. 
<laughs> and killed a guy that was pretty well guarded. You know what I mean? Like she, she definitely has some magic. So it's like, at what point in this conversation or in all these talks about Melisandre do we look at it and we say, I don't know. Right. And I don't really know what the point is here or where exactly George R. R. Martin was going. Because I'm reading this chapter and I'm thinking, this Melisandre chapter is so intimate. She's speaking in a way and reacting to people in a way that I feel like maybe George was so excited to write and that what it must have been like for him to write this chapter, to say all of these things that he said, that the imagery in this chapter is on a level that you must pay attention to it because the imagery is the story in this chapter. Mm -hmm. The way that the stars are falling through the sky and the way that an arrow flies in a vision. You know, it all has a, a grand point, I think, in what, what he's trying to make. And it's really hard to pay attention to. And there's no way we can talk about all of it in this podcast. Like, there's no way. There's so much. So we have, like, pages of notes. You can't even write a good thought about that note because it says everything you need to say. You could break it down, but it's just, at that point, the feeling that you get, you're just describing a feeling. It's personal and intimate, but at the same time, especially right beside Maester Eamon's chapter, I think it really brings a lot of these feelings out of me. It's just so big and mysterious, and it's happening at the wall, and it's right at the threshold of life and death. Mm -hmm. It's on a really grand scale. And something I've been thinking a lot about uh, since I first read this chapter, or since I first reread this chapter for this, is why do we get Melisandre right here and right now? And why do we learn we learn about her right here, right now? And I think that there's a reason for that. And I think that that plays into kind of what we're going to see in the next, the rest of the story, kind of in, in setting the stage for things that are going to be happening at the wall and with John and, and all of that kind of stuff. I think that this is really starting to set the stage for some big things happening. It's, it's so grand, but it's also just really simple between humans. Mm -hmm. That's the song of ice and fire for you. Right, but but this chapter, you've got Mance Raider coming back, and he's standing in front of John, and and Melisandre is it's so on the nose, but not in a way that I'm weirded out by it. Melisandre literally looks at John and was like, "This is the the bed you made for yourself because you wanted to have what you wanted. Well, now you've got us." It's funny that you say earlier that like there's just so much imagery and that it's so important in this chapter because i feel like that's something that is kind of undercut right by the reveal of mm -hmm. the glamours because there's so mm -hmm. much stress put on what the visual information is that's conveyed in this chapter but it's telling you to doubt all the infor not all but like it's telling you to doubt the visual information that you get you just summed up my whole point in a much better way. <laughs> no, that's a, that's actually a really good point. I didn't even know I had a point before you said that, so thank you. <laughs> Word. Yeah. But that's a really good point of building, building, building on what it looks like matters, and then, but what it looks like isn't what it looks like. That's interesting. I didn't think about that second half. Something that I have in my notes about like the way things appear is like... It's funny because Melisandre really just prides herself on her ability. She says like she's like one of the best, you know, at being able to see the images in the flames. And then she says that she had to be certain. Many a priest and priestess before her had been brought down by false visions, by seeing what they wished to see instead of what the Lord of Light had sent. But we see that even Melisandre's like 
uh, can fall victim to that, uh, especially in juxtaposition mm-hmm. with like other red priests that we see, like Makaro, who he just tells people what the vision showed. He's like, yeah, I saw like some shadows and I saw some dragons. Some were like old and some were young and some were dark <laughs> and some were light. And you were there, you were there and smiling and stuff. <laughs> and that's not verbatim but that's pretty close <laughs> that's a direct quote <laughs> direct quote um but like melisandra gives her interpretation uh as opposed to what is actually shown in the vision and you know the way she suggests that like the way she talks about how glamours are about how men see what they want to see and that's how mm-hmm. it works to an extent Melisandre's doing the exact same thing with the visions and we see that again later on with maester aemon when he's talking about what the prince that was promised prophecy was about. And how easy that could have fallen apart once he stopped thinking about Summerhall. Yeah, and once it stops being like what you want it to be, like what is it actually? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The idea that people see what they want to see isn't just about glamours. It's about, it goes into their everyday lives. Like it goes into what Melisandre thinks that the vision is she wants it to be John's sister she so that she can use it mm-hmm. to persuade John to believe in her power she wants it to be Arya um, the girl on the gray horse but it's not just like people think that it's rattle shirt there because the glamour and um the shirt of bones makes them want to see a rattle shirt but it's not or like how right. Aemon you know, wanted the prince that was promised to be like Rhaegar, be- or even later on, he says he like wanted it to be Stannis because he was from the line. He was from the line of Egg's little girl, but it's not. Um, and it plays l- with other themes that are in uh, a Dance with Dragons. Like, I don't, I don't know where we are if like I'm spoiling things for other people, but like, no, go for it. Like how John Connington wants, you know, I'm a believer that Fagon is a Blackfire. He wants it to be Rhaegar's son, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So just people willing themselves to see things that aren't there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also with John and his situation um, and his idea of kind of not wanting to put up this illusion or this show of, of his power or anything like that. Um, it also plays into that as well with how people are perceiving him and how he thinks people are perceiving mm-hmm. him and how they should or shouldn't be perceiving him. And yeah, definitely a, a major theme. I think the difference between someone like John and Alessandra is that she chooses to act. She's like, oh, I know that you know about the trappings. That's great. But, you know, what are we hiding from, Jon Snow? What are we hiding from? The shadow of the wall looms. We're all inside of it. You know, we're at the end of the world here. And she makes light of it. And it's so interesting to see George R. R. Barton, like, pit someone against the character that he loves so much, you know? And to not, like, not get down on him on a on a personal visceral level but just on a the way that she looks at the world and she acknowledges Jon Snow for who he is but she also acknowledges the things that he has yet to acknowledge in himself and vice versa it's just that it's so special to me and maybe for you guys because this is the only chapter we've got of her so far so it was just full of of it was just beautiful imagery that has large implications both physical and metaphysical in the story and then a really neat exchange between some characters to me the difference between what Eamon was speaking about and what Melisandre is speaking about in her chapter Melisandre knows what she's doing she's fully aware she's looking into the flames she's making a choice to be the person 
that sees what she's seeing. She's made a choice to dedicate her life to the kind of discipline and pain and struggle and suffering, really, to gain that kind of power. And I don't understand why yet, why she wanted it. And I think that we're led to believe that it was perhaps a reaction to the incredibly horrible past that she lived and the way that she speaks about Jon Snow and the way that Stannis and John have so much in common and she's able to sort of psychoanalyze where they're coming from and to say, this is the reason, blah, 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 and it works out. Is she analyzing why she would fit in well with these two men so well? Is she analyzing why she would care so much at this point? I think she is partially self-aware, but I don't think completely. I think that she, I think that part of this chapter reveals some of that yeah. self-awareness, but I, I, I don't think because she continues to, like we were talking about earlier, play into this idea of Stannis and whether or not she sees John for who he may or may not actually be. Um, I think that she, just like everybody else, kind of falls short of what's actually right in front of her. But because I think that we see that she's correct in the way we see a lot of her um, prophesying in this chapter in hindsight. And so we kind of understand that she's right about some things that are happening with John. Um, but I do think that she has a lot to learn. And I think that we are then going to, if, if the show is any indication, hopefully dive a little bit more into her struggle as she embraces what she does and doesn't know going forward. Her struggle is so fascinating to me. Me too. Yeah. I really like it. Have you guys read the Mistborn series by any chance? I haven't. Mm-mm. I don't know anybody who's listening um, if you've read that series, but I'm on the third book. I am so behind in the world, but not as behind as you guys, LOL. And I'm only reading the third book now. Great, thanks. <laughs> but no, it just it deals a lot with this idea of what power is supposed to look like versus what power actually is and literally coming down to the way you dress and kind of looking the part and grappling with this philosophical idea of what it means versus what it looks like. And I just think that for those of you who have read that series, you can kind of see where some of those connections are. Um, but because you guys haven't read it, I won't go too far into it. But I think it's a very interesting, interesting question. Mistborn, huh? Good books. I found the quote of George R. R. Martin describing Melisandre's work. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're too lazy to read along with us at home, here's what you need to hear. It was an art. And like all arts, it demanded mastery, discipline, study. He puts a period and then he puts another sentence, which is one word, and it says pain. That too. Rowler spoke to his chosen ones through blessed fire in a language of ash and cinder and twisting flame that only a god could truly grasp. Melisandre had practiced her art for years beyond count, and she had paid the price. There was no one, even her order, even in her order, who had her skill at seeing the secrets half revealed and half concealed within the sacred flames. And my note right after that was, what must have this been like for George to finally write this chapter? Because that last sentence, geez. Is she the best in the biz? Is that what this is saying? Well, she's afraid of Blood Raven. She's afraid of Bran. She's like, wait, other people know stuff too? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Power is power. I just had to. <laughs> <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> it's Cersei and uh, Littlefinger, uh, Baelish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like we were getting really deep. They're a little bit of. 3D. It's hard to talk about this chapter and the next really without going deep into the uh the implications of how it affects us all 
personally. And when I say us all, I just mean people. And a person wrote this story, and we're all existing within this same universe. So even though it sounds like we're talking about something else that doesn't exist, I think it includes all of us. And I thought, man, it was just so nice to pair these together. I got to take my imaginary hat off to uh, everyone who helped us with the, the reading order because the way this kind of came together was just sort of a perfect storm with the way she began and the way that she she lives within the people that she's around because of the kind of woman that she is, the way that she looks and the way that she behaves. And to get to the end of the next chapter and to have the, those people tell Sam and Gilly, tell Sam really how to live. Like, hey man, this is not how it is. You know, there's a beautiful woman right there and she loves you. So why don't you stop talking about some things you were talking about like three months ago? Can we talk a little bit about Mance specifically? Because we've, we've talked about this big reveal that we get in this chapter. And I'm wondering if you guys saw this coming in any way, shape or form, or if we can talk about maybe specifically why she chose to save him and what the thought was behind kind of all of this. And I'd, did you guys see this coming, basically? Uh, I absolutely did not. You know, when I was like reading this, I absolutely did not see this coming. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, word. So like Mance is alive and yeah. glamours are a thing now. <laughs> cool. Word. She got this magic. Yeah. Magics, you know? It's Opening up pretty convincing. possibilities. Yeah, obviously, like I believe that. I was like, okay, cool. Like I am convinced that, you know, she is glamoured Mance now and he is here. No, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, me neither. It's really difficult, George, to get me to believe that after you just spent the whole chapter doing that other stuff. But I still believe you. You're not listening. <laughs> We're That's not okay supposed too. to believe? What are you saying? I want In the to mag- believe. <laughs> I want <laughs> to believe. I mean, here's Mance Raider, everybody. I know. There's an absence of this kind of stuff for so long and then all of a sudden it's like by the way i tap this gym and then this thing happens and is it going to be happening more frequently i think is a question that can come away from this i don't not like it i just feel like we need to talk about it did you see that line kind of near the end where she's talking about the bones and she says the bones help the bones remember the strongest glamours are built of such things a dead man's boots a hunk of hair a bag of finger bones dot 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 and my biggest thing coming away from that is are we supposed to make are we supposed to think that this is something that could happen for Davos going forward? Or is that just us trying to read into the chapter where everything needs to be read into? <laughs> I've i interestingly, you know, like that's definitely a question that's been raised, but I've seen people interestingly say that the finger bones are like a red herring. It diverts you from the idea of like a man's boots could uh serve as a glamour and people have speculated that aria would use i think it was darion's boots mm-hmm. as a to glamour herself because i guess she has those okay why not well i think that's a good point because it's not just i mean the boots hair there's lots of different ways that they can go about it that's what i was just wondering i was like but we're using magic though so i get it but did you you know you got to read the chapter, guys, because magic happens. It says that his face melted. You know, the the, the widow's peak turned into something else. There were, there was features changing, and he wasn't just in a really good outfit, not the one they used in the show, for God's sakes, but a really good. He wasn't just in a really good outfit. You know what I mean? Like he was 
magic to Mance Raider. I mean, he fought John. Remember in the last chapter we had with John, he fought. He fought him. You know what I mean? Like he touched this person. He felt this person. He he took impact from this person. I know that it seems like we're harping a lot on this magic thing, but can I just like for the sake of uh, moving forward, like they did magic, right? She did magic. That was magic. Absolutely. Magics. So she's doing magic. She gave him some Polyjuice potion and <laughs> tastes much better than Polyjuice potion. Yeah. It's like accidentally Craster's hair. Like shit. <laughs> <laughs> Or ghosts. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> That's true. right on. How about ghosts when he was pissing on the spears? Ah, that was my favorite yes. part. Lifted his leg. Best part. And John was like, if 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 those guys were still around, ghosts would have their scent. And I had this like, I'm like all suspicious. I'm like, these guys did it. And ghost isn't freaking mm. out because these guys did it. That'd be intense. I mean, they killed the Lord Commander. That's true. They did. I mean, it wasn't the, it wasn't the specific it wasn't the specific Watchmen though who did that, but that'd be intense. Just the way they were talking about it, and John was like, "Hey, man, this really isn't the, the time to talk about that stuff. This is not the time and place to pick at that wound. Not here, my lord. Not now. There's you know, there's dead people there, but they went right to it. So I don't know. Again, I, I think it might just be a product of reading too much into these chapters." And when Molly was howling so sad for Garth, that just kind of cut through out of nowhere. I was like, man, that's terrible. I thought that was an interesting, because like, so I was cross-referencing other other um, chapters and stuff, you know, like how we talk about how John didn't necessarily listen enough to what the people at the wall wanted, and that could have been part of his downfall. He surrounded himself with his enemies while sending his allies away, and it's an you know, speaking of how like perceptive Mel is or is not, she says in her POV that Bo and Marsh's cheeks were red with cold. We should never have sent out rangers when, you know, these dead bodies come back. But it's interesting that she thinks his cheeks are red with cold. I see it as being red with anger. He's angry that these people have died. Um, and then, you know, when when Garth dies and his friend whose name I'm forgetting because I don't have that up. When his friend... Um, How dare you? I know, right? He, he's such an important character. God, he's like, he is the prince that was promised. Sure, yeah. Um, Alpha Runny Mud um, lets out a how loud enough to wake sleepers in the Shadow Tower, apparently, because he's just so sad about his friend Garth having died. Later on, um, right before, in the Shield Hall, right before John gets stabbed, you see that Alpha Runny Mud is at the same table with, like, Bowen Marsh and all of them, like as though it was this event um, oh. that caused him to lose his faith in John's leadership. Oh yeah, and he walks away with Melisandre. Yeah. Know? Oh, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting that you know John sees that this is something that upsets his men, but and while he's like doing all these things to show trappings of power, like tr- pretending to keep melisandra away but melisandra's like whatever i'm gonna put my arm through yours and show people that you know we are connected it's not enough it's not just about putting on a show of power it's actually about listening to your people and their demands Mm -hmm. do you think it's okay though that it's happening and that john is accepting her arm and that john is sort of managing the situation in a way more forcibly than he has before 
because I feel like she was sort of bemoaning the kind of person he was, you know, and I think that she might be sort of pushing it along, like making that thing with those guys and the stabby stab happen a little faster, maybe. I don't think she realizes that she did that because, you know, like she sees in this chapter daggers in the dark. And so she sees hints of the shield hall, but I don't think she necessarily realizes to how far the extent is, like how how upset others are at the wall with not just like her presence, but with the way things are being run. So basically it's kind of the point that we were considering earlier that she is a very intelligent person and has gone through so much and understands how this, this world works and understands how all these people work together and in creating the, 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 the future that they individually or as a group see fit. But she's also just completely a person and, totally susceptible to not knowing what she's up to, not knowing what, not being aware in the moment like she's aware of things in the flame. Right, she's only so Mm self-aware. That's so beautiful. (laughs) It really is beautiful. You know, that that Melisandre could be all of those things and to also be, I I just, I I had, it's my favorite moment of the chapter. It was was so interesting when she was talking about what happened when, John shot Mance Raider, or as we know, uh, Mance Raider, but it was actually the Lord oh, yeah. of Bones. And uh, I was just like, good Lord, this was just, I'm, I'm trying to find it so I can like actually read it. She was describing the pain of the jewel and how it was transferring the heat and it was burning here, which I think is interesting to note because she loves the flame so much she the flame is her god she lives by it and yet the power still burned her so mm-hmm. of course you know everyone has a threshold even melisandre and it kept going it kept going but at the very end this is what i have highlighted i would have read the whole note but it says um whilst stannis had seethed at the defiance that was john shooting mance with an arrow she had shuddered with relief yeah and I love the choice of wording there because, like, seethed feels like it's a very hot word, you know? It's it's what you would say about your lover, too, that you just, you know him. You know him so well. And she knows Santa so well. He's been gone, so her bed's mostly empty. You know, it mentions that in this chapter. We get a little bit of that. And it's like, from Melisandre? Yeah, from Melisandre. And also, it's okay that she took some comfort in John doing what he did, you know? He made a choice to to end that situation. It's just so interesting how it all works out because it's not happening in a simple manner like Sam and Gilly. And it's not that cut and dry either. It's all very complicated, but it's happening around all these actual magical things at this actual magical place where there's actual people dying and there's heads on sticks and stuff. And of course, that's a song of ice and fire and we're, you know, saying the same thing sort of over and over, but you, you guys get what we're saying. Yeah. At least I hope so. No one's here to say yes. <laughs> I do wonder what would have happened if like, I don't know, like, does she just burn? <laughs> I guess it would have just If it hurt. goes too far. Stannis is the kind of person that would have for duty watch things burn honor and duty was his god right just like she describes ned stark the kind of person that that john lives in the shadow of or the kind of person that aemon create the kind of shadow that aemon creates beneath him right and it's like well what what we get that they all have fantastic reputations but what what she's saying is what purpose did that serve anyone what purpose did aemon thinking so much about the prophecies serve anyone 
so cool that John shot Mance. <laughs> At least someone did something. And she's saying, John, you were something. Um, and how well, you know, now we're here. So are you going to do nothing or something? I'm here for this time. Mm. I wasn't there for those other times. I was there for Stannis. And for some reason, I'm here for you. But I wouldn't have felt this way and things wouldn't have changed at all if you wouldn't have shot that arrow. And you wouldn't have stepped up and said, you know what? At, uh, this is how I feel. This is happening. But I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I don't no one's gonna, No one else is going to say anything, but I don't like that. You know what I mean? That's what he did. And she was like, thank God. Hmm. I don't think we can apply it technically to the situation. But I think if we're looking at it in a sort of a broad sense, the way that it all works together, she was probably she's probably been on the lookout for some kind of goodness out there not that stannis isn't good not that men like him aren't good but maybe she's looking for the same kind of goodness that she gives to devon i don't know if she's looking for anything other than stannis though like i don't know if she's looking for anything outside of that i wouldn't say is that what you're saying i i think what i mean hannah it's not that she's not that she's knowingly going on a course. I'm going to trick everyone who's reading this chapter and also myself and uh, forfeit Stannis and, 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 and say John's the new Azor Ahai. I think that it's sort of what we were talking about before where it's the product of the moment and that she's too busy looking at everything else. It's kind of what Eamon was talking about as well. As he was dying, he was so desperate. He's just looking around and he realized like, oh my gosh, I still have so much left to do. And I just was sort of on that one thing. Right. Like when you're in it, maybe you're not there all the way, you know, as far as that same knowledge that she has on everything else, you know, like she could have made more. She hasn't, she has powder, right? Left over from the learning and the work she put in before. But she could make more now, but it had to go get that hard stuff to find. Mm-hmm. As a side note, I just want to say that when the chapter started, she was like doing her like, I don't know, sand stuff. And then next thing I know, Devin's there. I'm like, yo, has Devin been here the whole time? The whole time. And I just didn't know. <laughs> I'm like, that's so awkward. Um, that's just a side note that I want to make. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, great. I thought it was kind of sweet, though, that she wants to. Pr- she's like wants to protect him because Davos, she says, it seems like it seemed to her that Seaworth had suffered enough grief. So she wants to keep him close. I was like, that's so nice. That's like genuinely just kind. Yeah, no, I agree. And that is something that like stands out that she, you know, she comes off as like very uh, austere, you know, she's like, I'm going to burn these people and in some ways ruthless, but that's to find out that she did this and kept Devin there just for Davos is really humanizing. But also finding out that Devin was there like three pages later, I was like, oh, okay, word. Devin's been here the whole yeah. time. <laughs> Awkward. Cool. But yeah, that's a good point. I'm not really... You know, Sorry, I derail everything. Oh, you're good. No, you're, no, you're good. We derail everything. I'm just like, you know what I mean, guys? I don't know what's going on with this chapter or like what he's trying to say, but also I totally know. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was so excited to talk about it tonight because, I mean, where do you where do you go from here when you learn that Melisandre believes that she is communicating with the one true God, and she also believes that she has an opponent that are people, and that they're communicating at least 
figuratively with the the opposite side of that, which is the the promise of darkness potentially after the lights are out. And we have all of these great interpretations of fire and energy, which are people and not just fire, but they're people. And we all work together. And when the great dragon, Aemon Targaryen's fire is out, he's dead. But she believes that she speaks to that person in a way. And she also believes that there are bad guys that can go into that fire and talk to her through it, or at least see what she's doing through it and know what she's up to right now in this chapter. So that's a pretty cool book. Can we talk about the waves crashing on the tower and the deep rising from beneath the waves? Yes. So Old Town, you think? I personally think it's Old Town. I don't know, but that's my personal well, feelings. that's where Sam was going in our reading order. The next chapter, foreshadowing. Oh, snap. Maybe. Dun, dun, dun. You're on Greyjoy. He shows up with the fleet. And then what? What do you think? And then shit gets real. <laughs> do you believe that, sort of like we saw in the Melisandre chapter, with a stone that can change the way someone looks? I think if that works, then the other stuff probably could be true, too. Do you think that it's going to be... Uh, the I don't really know how to say without sounding ridiculous. Do you think it's going to be ancient magic? Do you think it's going to be old town, high tower drama, the Kraken rises from the sea? I mean, this is it. This is everything. It's just out on the table. Euron Greyjoy reveals just how much nightshade he's drank. All of it. I haven't thought that far <laughs> um, as to like why. Um, I like the idea that there's a Kraken and you, you know, we've like heard stories from sailors that there may be one in the ocean. And I know that I think, I don't know if I'm misinterpreting Emmett, poor Quentin's uh, theory that, you know, Euron does find a way to summon a kraken as part of the apocalypse. I think it's with the amount of lives that they're able to take there in Old Town. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I, I, feel like in some ways, you know, obviously it's about losing the lives in Old Town and which has almost like already burned and the Citadel has already almost almost burned like two other times in their history. So, you know, third time's the charm. But like, I think that in some ways it feels like George R. R. Martin channeling the loss of the Library of Alexandria. And like, you know, you think of all the knowledge that was lost um, that we don't know that we don't have um, and all this information we could have known from times before that could have even helped advance the world now and losing Old Town and the Citadel would be a huge blow to Westeros and all of their civilization. We got the, the shout out that Old Town was a significant place of healing, potentially the best in the world. Oh, yeah. That would also be a huge blow to lose as well, the technology of how to keep people more healthy. Also, if John Con needs it and wins, you know? Yeah. I have heard theories, though, that it could be the Ten Towers of Harlaw or, like, the Red Keep or Storm's End. But I don't know. I like, I guess other people say White Harbor, but I like Old Town. I like it because Sam and Gilly are going there right now. Yeah. So it just makes sense for this convo. If it, if it, if it were that, if if the book was actually written in this order, I think we could easily assume that. But it wasn't written in this order, so we really don't know. So we're forcing it into our own theories to match our own <laughs> construct. <laughs> it's just the way he described the waves and the deep rising 
in the wave. I was like, that sounds like a Greyjoy kind of thing. I know where they're headed, but all speculation. Well, her chapter is followed by a Greyjoy chapter in Dance. In Dance. I mean, it's not written mm-hmm. that way, but it's followed by a Reek chapter, who is a Greyjoy. Aha. Very different Greyjoy, but what else? First line of the Reek chapter, not to get too ahead of ourselves, he heard the girls first, barking as they raced for home. <laughs> Literally getting ahead of ourselves, like episodes ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that I was thinking about as we kind of look at both these chapters are, because we're kind of being hit over the head with this idea of who was Azora High and are we reading the prophecies correctly or are we interpreting things the right way if we're kind of being beat over the head and so that both of these answers are wrong? Um, I don't really know. I don't think either any of us are equipped to answer that, but I just thought that that was interesting because I feel like both Melisandre and Aemon in these chapters are very adamant on what they, well, let me take that back. Melisandre is very adamant that she believes it's Stannis, but I think that she's kind of getting hit over the head with the fact that it's John in her chapter. Whereas in this Sam chapter, Eamon is feeling like he finally pulled the piece of the puzzle together and that he finally figured it out and that it's Danny. And um, kind of what we can read into who is quote unquote right in this situation. I don't know. I think it brings up a lot of interesting questions. Um, and I think that all of us are going to be more inclined to believe what Maester Eamon has to say over somebody like Melisandre, especially as he's on his deathbed talking about his regrets that he couldn't have lived 10 years more to kind of pursue this and, and figure this out. But I did think that that was kind of heartbreaking that he kind of has spent his life thinking about this idea and he finally kind of puzzles it together as he's ending his life not sure if anyone's going to believe him or if he's right exactly like like you said we want to believe him because he's maester Eamon, but i think part of this was just especially how the words were falling out of his mouth there toward the end it was just this great word vomit from an insanely smart person who knows more about the you know like he knows the game board better than the rest of the players and because of that, he has so much to offer, yet he has so little to say until he realizes, like, hold on. Oh, man. And that's kind of where Melisandre is. She's on a similar spectrum, but we don't see her in the same light as we see Maester Eamon. I thought it was strange that Melisandre repeated, only death can pay for life in response to the situation with Mance Raider. Hmm. And I thought of these two chapters side by side and that there were deaths in both chapters and that there was also... And on one hand, it could be a negative sense, but on the other hand, I guess it really depends on how you look at it. Maester Raymond passes away. Sam and Gilly come together. They have sex on a ship. We get the fat pink mask line. I mean, this is the big chapter. Classic. I mean, this is, I feel like we should have talked about that at the top of the episode or, or like a million things, but <laughs> how do you, <laughs> you eclipse? We should have talked about the fan pick, the fat pink mask at the very beginning. Yeah. That should have been I mean, our yeah. starting point. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, isn't that the lesson behind all this, right? Isn't that the idea? It's like, oh, we get it. It's all very beautiful. But what about, you know, the rum that we're rolling aboard on the ship? Maester Raymond's dead. The eulogy was 
really touching. And all the stuff that Sam said about him was probably true, especially all the good stuff. I think that's all he said was good stuff, but it was probably true. He didn't know him that long, but it was probably true. And Melisandre, you know, she's working through stuff the same, but it's just that we, we look at them differently. And I don't know, I guess their motivations, one's based on family and one's based off of belief. I think they're all based off belief. Yes. What belief, you know, like, why does Maester Aemon care about the prince who was promised? He cares because he, I mean, he says that. He says Daenerys is our hope. He calls her his hope, their hope. Against the long night. She's been, all these all these years I've been, ling- I've been lingering, waiting, watching, and now the day has finally dawned and I'm too old. I'm dying, Sam. So I think that just her being in the same bloodline doesn't play into anything aside from a coincidence like this is something he's been his faith has been put into just like melisandre so my friend matt also known as joe magician on reddit and on maester monthly uh he believes that um maester aemon has been looking for the prince that was promised all this time because aemon had a brother, right? Daron the Drunk, who had dragon dreams, and he believes that Daron might have had like a dream or something that would have tipped Aemon off to the need to find the prince that was promised, or Azor High. But I I agree that Aemon sees Daenerys as hope, because it and it's not just hope beyond, you know, hope against the others and belief. You know, touching on that idea that you brought up earlier about family, it's he says it as a Targaryen alone in the world is like a tragic thing or a sad thing. I don't remember the exact wording, but you know, it's just for me, I almost wonder like, has he felt so alone all this time that he, because he wasn't able to go down and help his family when the rebellion was happening, that he wants to be with Daenerys and guide her, not just because of the dragons, but because he sees that he could be with family again and help them. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point because we know that that decision to stay at the wall was something that was hard for him. Yeah. He didn't want John to do it either. Yeah. That's the thing is I don't know if we'd go as far as saying that he regrets that, but yeah, exactly that conversation he had with John. So yeah, I think that that's, that's a good point too. I always thought Mr. Raymond had no regrets. I think it's very clear, like in his first. Oh, uh, is that a joke? Never mind. Ha! Ah! <laughs> Sorry. Uh, funny. You're you're such a good Sorry. guest, Eliana. Like you're like, oh, I'll laugh. I'll throw a laugh in there. <laughs> uh, what, what were we saying? I have two things. One is an aside, and I guess not serious. I have an idea. So you know how they like put Maester Aemon's body in a cask. Oh yeah, the I would them. love to make a cocktail. Yeah, a cocktail inspired by Maester Aemon's body in a it. rum. Yes. Okay, let's do it. Okay, I'm so glad that this is going to happen. I think this will work. Yeah. Let me try. Yes. Yes. No. I think we should work on this for um, I swear God. But yeah, that's a good idea. Thank that's you for making idea. my dreams come true. <laughs> this is like something that I really wanted to happen. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. And you have to use the, the exact kind of rum that they pitched. You know what I mean? Like it can't oh, just snap. be any rum. It's closest yeah. to that. I don't know how we're gonna get the pickled blood of the dragon in there, but we'll figure it out. We can figure it out. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes I guess people put like I don't know. They put weird things in cocktails. Sometimes like I don't know. People put eggs, but like, I guess they put just the egg whites, and that's very different. I don't know. We'll figure something out. What was your second point? Oh, yeah. This was, a this was I guess, a real thing. <laughs> um, you know, I said earlier, like, 
about how Maester Aemon was talking about Stannis as a Zora High and like going into that idea of wanting it, wanting the prince that was promised to be family and it like him thinking it was Daenerys because or him feeling Daenerys' hope and it being family. He talks about how, you know, even though he knew in his heart because like Stannis's Lightbringer shed no heat and he knows in his heart that it's not real. He apparently says that he actually wanted it to be Stannis. He wanted Stannis to be a Zora High because, um, you know, on some level they were both related and he thought of Stannis as the grandchild of Rael's of like Egg's little girl who used to call him Uncle Maester, which is like mm-hmm. super cute. That's so sweet. Man. Rip. Sam's eulogy was really awesome. I know we've been kind of all over the place, but it was really sweet to kind of the conversation that he and Gilly then have about about Maester Raymond and kind of the man he was and, and what they had learned and his last days and you can kind of I had this very clear mental picture of the two of them reminiscing on this person that they grew to know and care for and hope for and I just thought you could you could very vividly see them on the ship drinking to this man mm-hmm. that they both revered mm-hmm. and when she was like I like you I thought that was sweet I like you too Sam whispered Gilly and I like this drink it tastes like fire it's sweet in a way that only Gilly can be and I feel like I feel like this chapter, as we kind of get into what happens with them next, people people will disagree on kind of how they feel like all of this was handled. But I felt like there was an innocence in Gilly and Sam's approach to this entire situation that, especially in the very beginning, is very sweet. What is the sort of issue with this? I think that some people may take issue in how Sam reacts to the situation oh about how he was like yeah this is fine how he kind of freaks but... out well how did you feel and how he it? treats her and Slash i don't know i can kind of sympathize with him a little bit and i think that they have this sweet moment and they're caught up in the stress of not only mace raymond but this entire journey and everything that they've been through and they're both hurting and lonely and they both care for each other but i can I can very much sympathize with with Sam and his vows and his position and his fear and his desire to do the right thing. And um, I think that he handled it in a way that anybody who was in that situation likely would have handled it. And I also think he learned a very good lesson. Um, who, what's Koja? Who Koja was mm. the the archer and Sando was the captain. Yeah, and I think Koja teaches Sam a very important lesson about um who he is but i i very much sympathize with kind of the way he handles himself in this chapter yeah i feel like it kind of sums down to like a uh there's a couple things i guess a they make you swear so many vows they make you swear and swear b uh this really important person in our lives just died and c being a teenager and having all of these feelings is really hard when you're doing all of these things on a ship at the same time yes being a teenager is hard just like in general but like being like a movies, teenager and doing you know all what these I mean? things yes i mean especially when you're like starting to develop them i don't know it's hard yeah it's scary i follow zondo's train of thought on what sam's up to and i love sam i i'm 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 here for sam tarley but at some point and I think that's what we're all talking about here. I think that's what 
John's been dealing with in a strange way. I think it was what Melisandre has mastered. I think um, there's lots of different approaches to the, to the problem. Someone like Stannis was just like, you know, I, he, that's great. Here's the rules. This is just how they are. I'm going to burn Shireen. Maybe we'll find out in the next book. Do you know what I mean? But like in this case, Zondo's is, is doing the same thing to Sam. And he's saying like, that's all well and good. Everything's fine. Get up. Get up. Last night was great, huh? Crazy. Get up. There's ship duty. There's there's stuff outside that we need to do right now. You need to get moving. You need to stand up. Do your job. But that's always it's always going to be that way. Right. Mm-hmm. And he needs to learn that. Yeah. But as Sam gets up, as he's stumbling to get awake in the morning, he smells his clothes. Oof. And that was he's hard. Like, these smell so gross. <laughs> except for they still smell like Gilly. There's an innocence and like a silliness about this entire situation wrapped up in these like larger issues that they're dealing with that I felt like was almost a reprieve from these big philosophical questions. It was just like a sweet innocence is all I can think of how to describe it. That's kind of what the next day feels like going through what they went through and the way that they did just sort of like this recombination of all the things that he thought was true before. And then based off of what happened to Maester Eamon, but also between he and Gilly, how everything is now. I do like, though, that Sam kind of gets the hard line driven for him at the end of this chapter when he basically just doesn't give Gilly enough credit after everything. Mm-hmm. And he's avoiding her all day and he's kind of hiding. And he's having this conversation with Koja who says, and I want to read this, she says, She knows the words you said. She's a child in some ways, but she is not blind. She knows why you wear the black, why you go to Old Town. She knows she cannot keep you. She wants you for a little while is all. She lost her father and her husband, her mother and her sisters, her home, her world. And she has you and the babe. So go to her or swim. Basically like, yes, Sam, we get it. Like you broke your vows. You know, all the world is ending, all this crazy stuff. But give Gilly a little bit more credit than you're giving to her and kind of see her as more than you're seeing her. And she understands the situation well as you do. And I thought that that was another important lesson for him to learn. Yeah. But I think that what goes on between the two of them is as important as where they're headed. And kind of that also drives what will happen next, you know? I have a note that says that someone needs to introduce these two to keg stands but i think that you know as we've been talking about they're sharing in their grief they've been through so much together and i think that you know as kojomo points out like she lost her father and her husband her mother and her sisters her home her world and she also lost her child to an extent too because right. you know she's left him at the wall like is she ever gonna see him again like Gilly's so incredibly strong and she just keeps going and she keeps facing the world and is just such a great foil for Sam's story because Sam's story, a lot of it is like, can a man truly be brave if he's afraid? And that's the only time that he really can be brave. And Gilly is all of that. And they're learning and strengthening each other together. And it's it's learning that you know, like as you're talking about, it's about the two of them. It's learning that getting through hard times, sometimes you can't do it on your own and Mm -hmm. learning to trust someone else and open up, even if maybe sometimes it's 
wrong by some of the rules, the only way to keep going is to trust other people and be with them. And to rely on them. Yeah. I like that a lot. And drinking. I apparently this is the first time everyone got drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sam's like, I've never had rum before. I'm like, but you've had a lot of wine, right? He's like, Yeah. Yeah. But I think I you make a good different. point. I don't know. I think you make a good point a kind of about everything that Gilly's been through and I just don't think she gets enough credit. And I think that we get some of that at the end of this chapter. Like finally a little bit of a in my opinion, more credit than she's been getting. I'm hoping for one of those storybook endings that I don't believe because it's too obvious for Gilly. Of course. You think it, well, yeah, I think that she's going to go through more hardships, but I think that I like to think she'll get some sort of decent ending. She deserves it. Like the rest of her life has been pretty terrible. Yeah, but there's something about the cinnamon wind. There's something about the people on that ship, and there's something about the vibe that that ship brings with it, and about how it defeats all the better vessels. I'm so interested. Should we do our own? Guess right. It's not the same thing, but it sounded cool. That means you get to pick, Eliana. Oh God. Um, as you guys know, I like sent you mine for like the Mel one, and I don't have one prepared for the Sam one. I didn't know I had to have one for each chapter. So let me think. Um, so let's do the Mel one. Perf. Melisandre. Even though I guess we've already talked. Yeah, whatever. Whatevs. Whatevs. (laughs) What do you think? Melisandre, are you going to give the own to all the candles that are burning in her room to keep the darkness out? (laughs) Like a scary movie I saw when I was a kid? Or... I do like candles in my house, though. Alexa, light my candle, please. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 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 I'm glad to hear you laughing. You've been been, like untalkable for days. Like... I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm in so much pain. Okay. Right, was that your own? Are you going to go on to your own? I don't think that was real. I was just setting up your own. I just know that I already know. everyone that's listening, Hannah is such a trooper. She has been bedridden for days. And she's she's <laughs> up have. all night talking to us about A Song of Ice and Fire. I just want to throw that out there. Can we, you want, do you want the own? Aww. Still yeah. like, you know, hanging in that's there? That's so nice. No problem. Eliana, you're still here? Okay, good. Yes, yes. Good, good, good. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm, I have my own for real, though. Although I think, I feel like my own's kind of a cop-out. But I'm going to give my own to Devin Seaworth for still hanging in there and for how nice Melisandre was to him. I just Aww. thought that that was such a sweet moment. And I know we already talked about it, but that's going to be my own. Right on. Who wants to follow that one? I will give my own to Snowflake swirled from a dark sky and ashes rose to meet them. The gray and the white whirling around each other as flaming arrows arced above a wooden wall and dead things shambled silent through the cold beneath a great gray cliff where fires burned inside a hundred caves. Then the wind rose and the white mist came sweeping in, impossibly cold, and one by one the fires went out. Afterward, only the skulls remained. Whoa. And I don't want to think about our universe, so I won't. That's a good own. Whoa. I'm going to do a different one. (laughs) (laughs) Eliana, what's yours before I give my second one? (laughs) Sure, sure. Yeah, I sent this over earlier and um, god damn it, where is it in my notes? Oh, (laughs) we discussed this a couple of times and in depth, but I still like, this is still my own, all right? Where, you know. No, said Jon Snow, they left their gifts in the Black of Night, then ran his huge white direwolf prowled around the shaft, sniffing, then lifted his leg and pissed on the spear yeah. that held the head of <laughs> Black Jack Bulwer. Ghosts would have their scent if they were still out there. I just like, 
I don't know. Ghost just goes and he's going to like pee and do dog things. I changed my own so to good. that. <laughs> it's a good one. You guys are like, wow. But, you know, that that's the one right there. Yeah. That's so obvious. What? I know, right? Right on. It's like, this one's perfect. Mm-hmm. Did you think about how much of a very good boy he was being when he was just kind of smelling stuff and he was like, hmm, I'll pee here. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a good boy. I don't know. It was just like a perfect like Owen moment. And I don't know. Just what a doggo thing to do. Truly. All right, then. And for Samwise. Okay. Wait, I'm going to give my other own. Sorry. <laughs> oh, please. I want to give my other own. That's better than my first one. Um, When John and Melisandre are talking and he is asking her something about betrayal and he says, are we, or, and she says, are we talking about betrayals? What's the name of that wilding wife of yours, Snow? Oof. What a burn. Why did she do that? That was so awesome yeah anyway that's my other own that's awesome on to sam so my own and the sam chapter will go to um this line uh well i'll just read the context so you know sam had never drank rum before blah 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 his knees were stiff his hands covered with fresh new blisters and raw sticky patches of skin where the old blisters had burst yet between them rum and sadness seemed to wash his hurts away and i'm like Welcome, Sam. Welcome <laughs> to drinking your feelings away. <laughs> so that's where my own goes to. Sam discovering washing away his feelings in an unhealthy manner. <laughs> I have two owns. Both of them are for Summer Islanders. The first own goes to the concept of them. I think that they're the good kind of people, even if they are godless, by God. And I also think that Zondo is a bad motherfucker. He goes... Uh, Sam goes, they were meant for the Citadel, he said when Zondo asked him what was wrong, because they were taking all the belongings off of the people who had money and couldn't afford to pay for all the passage, and the entire cask of rum that they used to pickle Maester Eamon, and for God's sakes, he was dead already. It goes on, when the mate translated those words, the captain laughed. Gohoro Mo says the gray man will be having those books still. So he's going to take the books that John entrusted him. If you guys remember, he says they're still going to get them. Only they will be buying them from Kohoro Mo. The maesters give good silver for books they are not having and sometimes red and yellow gold. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. <laughs> so shrewd. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give my own two, three sentences later where Sam goes, by the time the dealing was done, Sam was down to his boots and blacks and small clothes and the broken horn Jon Snow had found on the fist of the first men. Yes. Owned to the possibilities. I know. We didn't even touch on that. I know. Or we did. But we, everyone can think on it. We talked about the Old Town stuff. Maybe he, he has to blow that horn. Hmm. Hodor. Hodor. And now it's time to read your owns. We have to tell everyone that our recording failed. And we already read your owns, but we're going to read them again. Because <laughs> they're just that good. They're that good. And we're going to pretend like we're reading them for the first time. Am I going to make the same jokes that I did the first time? Or you I think so. Okay. I think so. Our first own from Sir Maynard Plum at Plum Sir on Twitter. Mel owned to the seven candles burning in her chamber. It has always intrigued me. Sam owned to Kohoro Mo for interacting with so many dragons throughout the books. You guys remember the chapters? <laughs> <laughs> the what? We did it what? That long. We read chapters? <laughs> yeah, we yeah. read a couple of them. I think it was Cat of the Canals. And... 
All right, Eliana, you're up. Yeah, and you get to read an awesome one. Um, this one comes from Brienne of Tarth uh, at Beauty Brienne. She's great. Um, and her own is Mel and Eamon were so close. Her to correctly interpreting her visions and him to revealing another huge misread to the Archmaesters. Near misses, get my own. Hashtag no one ever looked for a girl. Next, we have uh, the Maester in White Harbor at Maester Mary, who says, Sam owned to rum, a drink for dragons, and owned to blood rape owned to Bloodraven for haunting Mel's dreams and making her bleed black blood down her thigh. Fleck. Gross, creepy, and awesome. And awesome. Heater yeah. King writes, owned to Mel for having the linguistic skill to say a word. John hears one word, Mance another, and neither heard the word that was spoken. She is indeed a cunning linguist. Sam owned to cool. sex and death. Out of Eamon's passing, parenthetical, and now his watch has ended, four crying emojis. Blossom's life and love for Sam and Gilly, if only for a moment, dot, dot, dot. But a beautiful moment. Truly. I also just want to double back because we're making the same jokes regarding uh, Blood Ravens haunting a mill. It's like really just not that impressive. My body does it on its own every single month. It's oh, like, yeah. That's not joke. that impressive. <laughs> uh, then we have an own from Simon Amundsen. Uh, at Simon Amundsen, A-M-U-N-D-S-O-N, owned to the first lesson Mel learned when becoming a red priestess, always keep the fire burning. Is this millennia old wisdom from the last long night? Hmm. To the people of the Summer Isles, the culture I would most likely like to live in Planetos, how they honor the old and have funerals with rum and love. Other people's gods are surely demons. Zondo makes Sam man up and helps him in many ways. Sam's second best friend. Next from Elizabeth on Twitter at Eliza Bennett. Own to Martin for foreshadowing a Davos glamour. Yes, Oof. I said it. Quote, a dead man's boots, a hank of hair, and in all caps, a bag of finger bones. With whispered words and prayer, a man's shadow can be drawn forth from such and draped around another like a cloak. End quote. As you know, Davos lost his dot 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 dot. And from Sam's chapter, my own goes to Gilly, who wisely pointed out that the old gods couldn't see them making love. Heart emoji, hashtag only water, no trees. I like how you guys read aloud the dot 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 dot. <laughs> it's all important. Every piece. <laughs> <laughs> from Nafisa W underscore W on Twitter owns to Roller for giving Mel the answer to her prayers, even though she thinks it's Stannis. I pray for a glimpse of Azora high and Roller shows me only snow and to Gilly for her liquid courage and taking the initiative with Sam. She leaned in close hmm. and kissed his mouth. What else would she have kissed? I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's always better the second Abort. time. <laughs> we have an email for everyone, by the way. All right, guys, this is game street. All right, Game Street. What's up, guys? This is my first own I'm sending in, and I've been listening Yay. to the show for almost a year now. Love the content and the humor. My own <laughs> for the Melisandre <laughs> chapter goes to the part where she says, With Stannis gone, her bed saw little use. <laughs> asterisk, wing, asterisk, asterisk, wing, asterisk. Oh, I see what you're doing. Hey. Yeah, I don't yeah. have another own because I'm too lazy to listen back and find out what chapter it is. Hashtag That's real. Shadow yeah. Baby Time Baby. 
Hashtag not so honorable, huh? Hashtag hypocrite Stannis Game Street. <laughs> Thanks, Game Street. You went in deep for Stannis at the end of that, though. Yeah. That was, uncalled for. That, was a, that was awesome. <laughs> thanks to everyone for sending in your owns and Game Street for sending in that email. And most importantly, thank you to Eliana for coming on with us again a second time to re-record the owns. We had a blast recording this episode, and I was excited to finally have you on with us. So. Thanks for coming and hanging. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I always have a blast when I'm hanging out with you, whether it's uh, twice in one week virtually or in person. <laughs> Eliana and Hannah work in the same building. Hey, I don't hey. know if that made the first cut, but they do. I don't remember. Yeah. I, thought, I don't know where we said that. <laughs> I don't remember either. That's a pretty cool thing, though. Serendipity, how it cool. all worked out. So uh, on Mr. Cool. Monthly, Eliana, do you guys not read the characters and the spacing out loud when you're reading stuff? Um, like I guess, asterisks and dot dot dot. I don't know. We do sometimes, especially for usernames, because you know usernames are hilarious to read aloud. Like, uh, recently we had a post from someone whose username was like Super Stark, but there were like three S's at the beginning, so it was awesome. like Triple S Uber Stark. <laughs> but yeah. if there's only two S's, it would be a totally different person. He would have said Double S Uber Stark. You know, that is a different person. Yeah. So. If folks listening want to find you on the internet, can you help direct them in that that general direction? If folks want to find me on the internet, you can find me, as always, on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. Um, that's reddit.com slash r slash a-s-o-i-a-f. And I'm Glass Table Girl with underscores between the words. Um, you can also find us on Maester Monthly, which is a podcast that we do to show all the really cool stuff that people are making on the subreddit. You know, it's a whole community and people are making great content and talking with each other and you want people to see um, and hear about what fellow fans are saying. And you can also, I guess, find me on Twitter and my Twitter is A-R-H-Y-T-H-M-E-T-R-I-C. Good luck. It's a shit show in there, but like, maybe you'll like it. I don't know. (laughs) You have a great Twitter presence. Thank you. If you want to follow along with us and read the next chapters, get caught up on chapters, or just check out our reading order, you can head to afeastwithdragons.com. And next time, we're going to be reading Cat of the Canals and Brand 3. So head over to afeastwithdragons.com and get caught up. Hannah and I are going to be in the same city next week. And we'll have an episode next week. Yeah, I don't don't know what exactly is going to happen, but it's going to go down. It's going to be fun. Mimi and TC is going down. I don't know the rest (laughs) of the words that song (laughs) turns out. (laughs) That's the only part that matters. (laughs) Our Stitcher Premium series, Rewatch the Throne, will have a new episode this week as well. We're doing the finale of season three. And it's following, obviously, it's directly following the Red Wedding. But we haven't spoken about our conversation with the Red Wedding on this podcast, but we, we did it all on rewatch the throne i can't believe that we're already to the end of season three on rewatch i feel like we just started we have lots of good stuff to talk about you can follow along with the show on stitcher premium and you can find it easily at rewatchthethrone.com check it out yep goodbye everyone goodbye goodbye we'll see you soon <laughs>